Hey everyone, it's Tom Kradza, and on this episode of the Your Life, Your Term show, we catch up with friend of the show, Mark LaFleur. He has been on before. You may recognize the name. He is one of the true, uh, co-founders of True Local. We are still a customer of True Local. Basically, they coordinate with local farmers all across Canada to distribute different high-quality meat products. We're a huge fan of theirs. Actually, I shouldn't say just meat. They do a whole bunch of stuff, but uh, he sold that business, and now he's gone down this wonderful path of starting another business. He races cars professionally. Wait till you hear that. That update from him. He's published a book called True Founder. Uh, we chat about artificial intelligence and how that's impacting his next business and his thoughts on that and just how to live next, what he's doing now as a 30-year-old who's exited one business and carving out the next part of his journey. So love chatting with Mark. He's definitely an international man of mystery. You never know what you're going to catch him doing. So a huge fan of his, and that's what we're doing on this particular podcast. And if you are listening to this and you want to dive into a community that's also pushing the limits and living life on their terms, you can check out something we call the Rockstar Inner Circle. We've been running this membership, this community for, I guess, over a decade now, and we've laid out all the benefits of becoming a Rockstar Inner Circle member on our website, rockstarinnercircle.com. From that website, you can get access to this podcast podcast. You can learn about the membership. You can get access to different videos and different reports that we put out. So all of that information is there for you on rockstarinnercircle.com. That's it with the intro. Let's get on with the show. Are you ready to live life on your terms? Is it time to take charge? Real estate, business building, the economy, health and nutrition, and more. It's the Your Life, Your Term Show with Tom and Nick Carazza. Are you ready? Let's go. Okay, we are on with the one and only Mark LaFleur. Who's Back fourth time now, I think? Something yeah, like that. something like that. Wow. You know what? It's so easy to talk to you. This is great that you come, you come by. And I need to ask you about your... I feel like you're racing fast cars and you're just living a fast life in a good way. Um... So I got to ask you about some of this, but we were talking about marketing and you kind of understanding some of these concepts. Why are you going down this right now? Like, are you just figuring out audiences and you've understood this for a long time with true local, you had a community, no? Mm -hmm. And well, I think like, you know, a lot of the things that you learn in life, you do first and then learn after. A lot of the time, what I mean by that is like inherently you're doing something because it's going to solve a problem that you need to solve. You didn't know the answer, but you just kind of problem solved your way into, okay, I'm dealing with this issue. Okay. I've now found the answer through necessity. Mm. And then after you're done, you can kind of look back and be like, oh, that's why this worked. So when it comes to audience building, what I was saying is that for you guys, you guys were doing it in the early days. Like it took me until after True Local to realize that, especially nowadays going into 2024, you know, people don't sell products. You know, what you do is you build an audience, you build trust and relationship, and then it really doesn't matter what you're selling because you have this audience. Now, of course, if you can maintain that audience and you start dealing to real business metrics like retention and things mm -hmm. like that, the product matters. But right now, you know, there's a saying that's like first time founders focus on product, second time founders focus on audience. And what I'm realizing is especially going into 2024 and with, you know, YouTube and Instagram and TikTok, you see these people and you look at you know, look as big as like Kylie Jenner. It doesn't matter what Kylie Jenner is selling. It does not matter. She will pull in hundreds of millions of dollars by selling the product. Once again, if that, if that product and that audience turn into a business in the long term is 
dependent on whether the product is good and whether they can actually build in the infrastructure to run a company. But it all starts in the audience. Whereas when I was coming into business, it was always about the product mm -hmm. first. Now, the idea. Yeah, and lots of nuances there, right? Because you can flip that on its head and be like, well, look, if you make a great product, people will come. And I think that that still stays true. I just think that it's becoming more obvious now that there is so much power in having an audience. And I love, like, I, I, I got to say it, you know, I've been on here four times. You know, you, I think it was year one that True Local started when I was here. And I would have walked in with the True Local shirt, you know, like yeah, yeah. the nice pointy shoes. Cause I, I remember was so trying excited. to figure you out. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I remember that. And, you know, we were talking early. I think we weren't even really talking about Bitcoin at the time, it was before that, that we started having these conversations. And I did not realize how amazing your guys' audience is and everything until recently when you had me out at uh, your conference, which was, you know, over a thousand people and just the energy and people were so hyped and so excited. So like so much props and inspiration mm -hmm. in what you guys yeah. have built. I appreciate that. I mean, that, thank you. That means a lot. It's been a long journey just for anyone listening to this to get those <laughs> thousand people in that room. This has been like an odyssey. It wasn't just being, you know, we didn't just snap our fingers, but I think what you're saying about building an audience to me, it's something I try to articulate to people who are starting a business. I'm like the real asset of a business in today's world to me is the relationship you have with your database or your audience or your tribe. I mean, it's said in a lot of different ways. But when I'm looking at people's businesses, I'm always kind of judging them on, well, what is the relationship you have with your people? And what is it that they think about you? Because to me, that's where all the value is. And it's really awesome to hear you talk about it because Nick and I can't really talk about this with many people. Most people just don't get it. Because I'm like, if Mark has a great relationship with people who are interested in him, you can go start a, a breakfast restaurant tomorrow. Case in point. And a bunch of people are going to show up because it's you and they trust you and you're authentic to them and they like you and that's it. And to me, that is everything. Whereas most people seem to get stuck with the idea of a business or the brand that they're trying to build and it's not personal. It's, and, and, and then a lot of people in business will also say, well, I'm a business to business business. So I can't use my personality. I can't build trust the way you guys do by being authentic. But I'm like, you're not selling to another entity you're selling to people inside decision maker who are decision makers exactly with. so it really is to me the secret sauce of kind of navigating through a lot of competition that most people don't get Absolutely. Like, you know, during True Local, we were fortunate because this happened and it wasn't something that we planned. It was just something that as we were going on, we're like, how do we build an audience that is going to support us? And if somebody comes out with a cheaper product by 10%, they don't just jump ship immediately because they're going to save $5 a month. Right. And you do that by building loyalty and you build loyalty by, you know, building an audience and actually having a connection with them and not just looking at them as customers. And I find so many people spend so much much time looking at, let's say, a customer as the dollar value um, in terms of how much they spend with you. And that is the worst way to look at a customer. Mm -hmm. Really, what you're better off doing is looking at the overall value of that relationship. So yes, a part of that relationship is transactional, where they are going to pay you for whatever service. But then there's the, uh, the not so tangible parts, which is you do something nice for them, they go and tell somebody about it, right? Or this is the person that um, you've uh, gone above and beyond for and then there's an ad that you're running and someone has a question and they go and answer it for you. And people don't do that if they don't have a connection and you don't have connections mm -hmm. if you don't have an audience. So I think when people look at marketing, traditionally it was content first, 
you know, let's go create a bunch of content. But what we're finding nowadays is actually your content is useless without distribution and the audience building that all of these, you know, whatever you want to call them, influencers or networks or conferences or just people that spend time to actually build relationships have in abundance is distribution. And once again, anybody can run a business and there's, you know, I'm saying this is a generalization, but once you get customers or users, once you're getting referrals coming in, once you've got enough money to run ads and have a budget, and you're kind of like in that second stage of your business, it's not as hard to get more customers, but people struggle in that flywheel phase, which is going from zero to one. Where do you get your first customers from? And the thing that people that have an audience have an advantage on is that that flywheel is already kickstarted. Now, once again, it's up to you not to burn it down by having a crap product or, you know, losing trust. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So it's just fascinating. And once again, I didn't think about it this way in true local because in true local, we were always community focused, but we didn't look at the community as building an audience. It's just mm. something we didn't. I looked at it from you guys because you guys had those nice little handwritten notes. Yeah, you still do that. I think you, the company still does it. I know it's sold now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but just those little notes kind of felt a little bit personal. I'm like, oh, that's kind of cool. Like some because I think it was signed to me, like, hey Tom Literally, or something. Yeah. So that kind of made that feel like a community. There was two wild things that my team hate me for, but we know it was for the better good that we always said we were going to do. And at True Local, it was no matter how many customers we get or how big we grow, we're always going to hand write Christmas cards. Yeah. So we did that. And then it was always the notes in the boxes. And, you know, when you look at people who operate businesses from spreadsheets, the idea of taking, you know, 15, 20 seconds when you're box packing and you're literally timing and trying to get it under a certain amount of time, the idea of taking time to write that out is just, you know, we'll literally make any operation person blow their head off. But with us, we understood the value of nurturing that relationship mm-hmm. because that is going to um, help you grow in the long term rather than, oh, great, I saved, you know, 20 seconds on this box. But next thing you know, especially for us, it was direct consumer food. It was highly competitive. And the mm-hmm. whole industry, whether you look at meal kits or competitors in the meat space was all about discounts. So let's offer discounts, huh. let's offer discounts, let's offer discounts. And if we just a race to the bottom, exactly. And to me, it's like, that's fine. If you're VC funded and you've got $50 million sure. in the bank and your whole business is predicated on one day, we'll turn a profit. Yeah. Sure. Go for it. But when we're trying to provide a good quality product and a good service, um, we can't be doing racing to the bottom. And also it just attracts the wrong type of customer for us yeah. at true local. We will always focus on long-term customers rather than short-term in direct to consumer food. It's very easy to get short-term customers, the one and done because they'll just shop around for every discount because mm-hmm. every time you're new The customer, cheapest chicken breast is over there. I'm going over there. Exactly. So we didn't go for any. How, so how did you do that? How did we find them? We yeah. did. So when you just notice if people were repeat buyers, you invested into them and so well, we did. So we did so much stuff. So okay. early on, we made the decision not to do price like dollar discounts. Instead, we would do value add discounts. Mm-hmm. So instead of discounting the dollar, what we would do is add more stakes. I because remember idea, that. Yeah, I remember getting bacon a lot. Yeah. So the idea is you're willing to pay for the service. I you, You're willing to pay. You're willing to pay this dollar amount for this value that you're getting. Why would I go ahead and, and just throw a wrench in that across the board where you're willing to pay for it? You're getting the service. Why wouldn't I just give you more of the service? at the same price. And that once again, will help weed out customers that are only here that are price focused. Um, and then of course, that's just like some sort of like high level initial things. But then from there we would do cohort analysis and we would do deep cohort analysis. So essentially what you do is you've got all of the customers that come in, in a certain month. And what you'll do is you'll turn that into a cohort. So let's say the uh, January cohort, all the customers that came into January and we would track them over time to see when they eventually fell off. And actually more importantly, when they leveled off. So we would follow that cohort, the January cohort into February, 
into March, into April. Did you do that to leads? Uh, we'll do a lot of that type of analysis from lead source. So we'll check Google versus Facebook versus Instagram. So on the source of entry point into our business, we know we can notice a difference in the long-term relationship we'll have with a customer. Did you do that as well or no? For sure. Cohort. Same thing as a cohort analysis. That, so we would do cohorts based on time when they would come in, okay. but also but which channels the they came in. Okay. Absolutely. Got yeah. it. We would do cohorts based on what type of boxes they would get. So let's say someone's a chicken heavy box yeah. or beef heavy box, or maybe, um, you know, we would get more information and figure out if it's a family or that's interesting you're saying that because there's so many parallels in business and because we've noticed anyone who responds to our book offer and requests and is interested in a book always ends up being in a higher value customer to our business Mm -hmm. than someone who came in and wanted like a quick cheat sheet or a small report Mm -hmm. if they downloaded the book for whatever reason and then they became a customer of ours they were always a better customer yeah and that's kind of held true now for over a decade and that's the that's the magic right so you know what ends up happening like we were at the point where we we're spending you know a couple hundred thousand bucks a month in marketing and what ends up happening at that point is it's very difficult to scale that mm-hmm. so you, you know when people start off their businesses they're like oh i spent five thousand dollars it's working i can go spend twenty thousand dollars and get the same results maybe but to go from 20,000 to 70,000 and still get the same results is very difficult. So you end up having to get more deep into the weeds to, you know, flip the switches or pull the levers that will allow you to go from 20,000 and spend up to 70 and still get the same quality of results. Now, when you start pushing that further and further and further, you start having to find new channels to go into. And a lot of them don't end up working because you're obviously reinvesting heavily in the channels. That makes sense. So what we found was kind of to your point was that we wanted to start figuring out not just which channels made the most sense, but which channels brought us the best type of customers? Because sometimes there'll be a channel that doesn't bring us a lot of customers, but it brings us the best customers, which means that we need to Nobody abs- understands this. Like yeah. no one gets this. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Go on. I know. No, it's yeah. just, that's why, like, I think at True Local, you know, we were so attached to our customers. We were such a small, like it was such a wild ride. You know, I think I look back we on small, it. It was small, but I think I just life. saw on your website, you were doing 20 million a year. But yeah, we're doing 20 million. Like now I'm trying to build a billion dollar company, right? So now I look at 20 million and I'm like, okay, you know, it was, it Been was there, done that. Yeah, exactly. Boring. Well, it was just, it was, <laughs> it was great for where we were at in our careers. All of us, like it was 60 people. And I always say the number one metric for me that mattered the most was that when the company sold our first 10 employees were still there with us. Um, and that means a lot because we, none of us had any idea what we were doing. None of us had a background on this. We just figured it out along the way and coming out the other side, I feel like we're pretty seasoned in terms of how to grow a company and business and we're knowledgeable and it's not just me, it's my friends that did that as well. So, um, it's, I I call it small because now just being three years out, which is wild, just my, you know, of course you sell a company in Canada for, you know, almost 20 million bucks, you get access to a whole new type of person. And just the things that I've been reading and the, the places that I want to go and just the world you get exposed to, it just motivates you to do it. I think you were sitting on a stage with Lewis Hamilton a little while ago and I got multiple text (laughs) messages from people. Hey, wasn't that guy on your podcast? (laughs) I think my son noticed you right away and I got a text, but so just on this point, then you mentioned a billion dollar business. Yeah. Just watching and observing you, you seem to live a life of meaning. Like you're after different experiences. I want to talk to you about cars in a second, mm-hmm. but is it going to be a dollar figure that signals or satisfies you? Or is it going to be some purpose in building that business? Because I feel by you saying a billion dollars, mm-hmm. but knowing more and more of who you are as a person, the kind of person you are, it feels to me that you're really going to be satisfied with an, the impact you leave behind. And you might be just using a billion dollars to represent that impact. But I just feel like you're not just a dollar person anymore. Like, I feel like you needed to be a dollar person to raise yourself up from just 
poverty. Like not that yeah, either of us were in like, I just didn't, you know, just, you need a, you need a little bit of money in the bank just to like live. Right. And then after that, it feels to me that happiness comes from the impact that you're having on the people and community around you. And I just feel like you're totally that person. Yeah, you, you know, you, you kind of worded that perfectly. And nobody actually really digs into that because they kind of just get used to me saying like crazy outlandish things. Like, I want to go to a billion dollar company. Like, yep. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, no I believe you know, it from you, though, when you say it. I totally believe it. Yeah. The the way I, I do it is you're, you're absolutely right. To me, what I mean by I want to build a billion dollar company is I want to do something great. Great. And the easiest way to reference that when you're talking to people is a dollar value. It's sure. the yeah, simplest yeah. thing. Agreed. When I yeah, say yeah. I want to build a billion yeah. dollar company, you know that I want to go do something great. For me, you know, I've been doing a lot of soul searching lately. And that's actually kind of, I, I told you, I was, I'm all excited about this running thing now. And, you know, um, it really kind of became this idea of the way I live my life is that I want to, I look at it very simply. I think the whole meaning of life is that Every 10 years, the younger you should look at the you of today. So for example, I'm, I'm 32 now. So um, the 22 year old of me should look up and be like, holy shit, that like I become that guy. And if every 10 years you can say that, I think you're living an amazing life because you've yeah, exceeded your expectations. I've always thought to live it, look at yourself from like 10 or 20 years forward. Yeah. Like what would, or even further, well, like what would the 92 year old selves tell you to do today? Yeah. And that kind of helps guide me. I've never thought of it from the other way. Yeah. I'm, super cool. I'm just such a different person than I was externally. And the, the things that I'm doing and the opportunities that I've had is so different than when I was a kid, but it's all things that as a kid that I just would have been, everything would have been like, oh my God, I would do anything to do one of these things. And to me, I feel like I live for that kid that was like, you know, struggling in school and didn't have a lot of friends. And I'm like, no, like my whole life is I just want to make sure that that kid is like looking at the life that we've lived and is like, oh my God, I, I couldn't have asked for anything better. So, you know, this whole idea of a billion dollar company came because when True Local sold, you learn these crazy life, life lessons. And, and I had holes in my shoes, you know, grew up and my parents gave me everything we could, but we didn't have a lot of money. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I always hate when people tell people that, hey, don't don't focus on money. It's not about the money. Well, listen, man, I'll tell you when rent's due and it's I got to figure out if I got to eat or if I want to go to rent or if I want to do whatever. Yeah, it's all about the money and it's okay to be all about the money. Um, so I would rather tell people, yeah, focus only on the money. And then once you've got money, you'll learn new lessons. And the lesson that I learned was that, you know, and I think Kanye says it well, right? Like, uh, you know, having money isn't everything, but not having it is. And the thing that I was going through when the company sold was, now that you've got the money, you've got your bills paid, you don't have to worry about things anymore. You can kind of focus on a more of a life of abundance rather than life of scarcity. But the question then becomes, and I dealt with this a lot, was what do you do when you can do anything? And that's a really weird place to be because that is only something that can come once you've figured out the money game. Once the money game is taken care of, then you start to realize that it is so much more to life and there's so much more importance in it. People always know that, but until you're in it, it's very difficult. It's very easy to conceptualize something when you're in a different state. So when you don't have money, it's very easy to speculate on the way you'll be and what you'll think when you do have it mm -hmm. and vice versa. You know, you, you look at relationships and stuff, you know, people will be like, oh, you know, I want to be single or, oh, I want to be in a relationship. Yeah. You're saying that from the current position. Now flip it to when you're in that situation, you'll probably think differently. So, um, you know, I look at it from the perspective of as soon as I got it, I started now having all these opportunities. I could not work. I could start another company. I could travel the world. I could, uh, let's just zero on the business thing because that obviously came up pretty quick, but 
when you can start a business in any industry mm. and work with what arguably any people, what do you do? And that's a really weird place. And it, it forces you to learn a lot more about yourself. What matters? What do you care about? Where does the discipline? So where from? are you on this journey? Because we've chatted a little bit about AI. <laughs> I feel like you can, you can handle a lot of shit. So I, it's going to be interesting. Have you decided on what angle? Cause I'm just thinking about what you talked about audiences. We were just talking in our team meeting about this Barcelona ad agency that got tired of dealing with social media influencers or influencers. So they made a fake AI yeah, is that model. A little, can, little, uh, I forget. There's a few of them yeah, out there now, yeah, yeah. but I just felt like a creep because I just pulled this AI girl up on my Instagram or whatever. Yep. <laughs> I'm just like, Oh my God, if my family sees what I'm doing right now, cause there's a story and I'm, you know, looking at all the, these pictures and the ad agency said they just got tired of influencers not showing up or not being on time for these photo shoots. So now this ad agency has this AI model that you can hire for a full $10,000 or euros a day. And they'll put your clothes on her put her out on Instagram because she has 150,000 Instagram followers now. Mm -hmm. I'm saying she like it's a real person. And, and I'm just thinking, hearing you build an audience, talk about the importance of building audience. And obviously we're big believers in building that audience. Like there's a lot of new opportunities on how to even build an audience. So anyway, that's a little bit of a, you know, separate topic. Where are you in your own journey of deciding what business venture you're going to go down next? Yeah. So on that, on that topic of the virtual influencers, we actually looked at that quite aggressively and I'm still did very you? interested. Yeah, we did because I think that where things are going to go, AI is not going anywhere. We're in AI right now. Um, it is here to stay. Um, and what you're going to find is that it is very easy to create these digital avatars or digital characters. And these digital characters are going to, uh, create value. They're going to build audiences. They're going to have storylines. They're going to have relationships. However, the joke is that they're not real, obviously, which means who's behind the scenes. Is it an individual? Is it a company? It doesn't really matter. I can't sell my brand or myself to you. And then you go be me. But in this digital virtual world, you could. So let's say you guys build mm -hmm. your, your life, your terms. You got Tom, Nick and Harry. Mm -hmm. All right. Who's this virtual influencer gets all these fans. You know, Harry's the we love Harry. <laughs> Harry's what's up. You know, like everyone gets excited about Harry and Harry is known to provide great advice. Harry is known to respond to the messages. Harry is known to just be a great dude. Well, what happens if you guys one day decide that you're like, hey, we're done with Harry. We're going to sell Harry. Well, you sell access to the account. You sell mm -hmm. access to the avatar and Harry yeah. will still maintain all of those, depending on how the person wants to run Harry or however that is, but it is an asset that could be traded. Yeah. So we looked at this idea oh, of shit. a virtual influencer marketplace. So mm -hmm. you want to go create a virtual influencer, mm -hmm. no problem, but those are probably going to change hands quite frequently. So we imagine that there could be a marketplace for it. Now we didn't pull the trigger on that, but it, I'm deeply passionate about it. I think it's very Okay. So then I have something for you. Yeah. Mark LaFleur is a cool guy. Yeah. We load up a bunch of your podcasts into an AI chat bot. I was mm -hmm. just listening to Jeff Booth talk about this. And this chat, this avatar, basically knows how you would answer a question. Yep. And now the asset really isn't Mark LaFleur, the human being, but it's actually the essence. Because if we load up, I don't know, 500 hours of you being on various podcasts and YouTube interviews and stuff with AI, I'm sure we could get a pretty close representation of how you will answer most questions. Yeah. I mean, that sounds bad. I think we all like to think we're like inherently unique, but we all have just different patterns to how we react to something. And if that's the case, then we can sell this, this AI version of you that could live on past you. And if there's some value there, this could be an asset that you pa pass on to like the next generation of your family. Mm -hmm. And if this thing is its own corporation, 
or is some kind has some kind of equity. Like I don't know. I guess the easiest way for me to do to say it now would be that it maybe owns some Bitcoin directly because that's natively in the internet. So this AI version of you is in the internet. It owns some value, some actual money in the internet. There's this weird thing that's created that's like a replicate, a, a replica. You know, it's, we're replicating you, and it could live on past you. Like this is fucking mind blowing. I've got so many thoughts on this. So, okay. So first of all, we've done a lot of that. So my lab, so DB8 labs okay. this is what we're focusing on now in terms of creating these, um, knowledge, call them chatbots If you want, we okay. don't like to call them chatbots because so many people know. Are, so I'm so out of touch. I didn't even know you were doing this. Yeah. So I'll give you the full, I'll give okay. you the full rundown. So essentially, um, what, so, so what we've done is I created this lab because when the company sold, I was on a two-year contract and that two-year contract had me overseeing the transition to the new CEO, which was awesome because it was our COO. So everything was kind of oh, right. rocking and rolling and I didn't get to do a lot of building during the whole blockchain crypto days. Now I could trade and I could do all sorts of stuff and I spent a ton of time researching, but we know we got really big into DAOs, you know, decentralized, mm -hmm. um, decentral, um, decentralized autonomous organizations. We got really big into the community, spent a lot of time there and I think there was a lot of opportunity, but I couldn't start another company. Well, luckily when I got spit out, um, uh, at the end of 2022, well, now we had chat GPT that just went mainstream in November. And my whole goal was that I don't know what I want to do next, but I want to do something next. And back to this billion dollar conversation talk, the one thing that I knew is that I didn't want to do something for five years. I wanted to do something for a minimum of 10 because you can only build something so great in five years. Now there are outliers. You can build amazing, great things in five years, but really things start to ramp up at year five. So I wanted to make sure that I was willing to do something over the course of 10 years. And then the, the dollar amount came out to be like, what would I be proud of after 10 years? Like from a, from just from the dollar. So it's like, what would be great and scary and just so unbelievable? Well, let's, you know, chase that B. So the way I did this was that if I'm going to do this more long-term, I don't need to rush into things, which is where I think a lot of people make mistakes. So I'm like, year one is going to be, can I just put together a rockstar team? Like, the best of the best, mm. the people that I want to work with, can I use my money and my influence and my you know network to put together the people that I want to work with? And I knew exactly who they were. Um, so I spent that time recruiting those people. And then all five of us started full time in May with no product, no plan, no oh, anything. Wow. And my thing was that we will iterate our way to success. We have an amazing team. There's amazing technology out there right now and I'm funding it. So we have a runway in which we will go in, start tinkering, start building with the technology, learn it from a first principles perspective and products will develop from there. So that's where I did. I went and bought the domain DB8, you know, DB8, three letter domain. You know, you got to have that. Um, and what we've been doing is obviously the hottest, most exciting technology was AI. And now everybody is freaking out about AI. We can talk a lot about it, um, about it being overhyped. And I absolutely think that AI is overhyped right now. However, it's not the technology that's overhyped. It's the business models because what's happening is every kid in their basement and everybody in the world is like, Oh my God, let me go start building businesses with AI and AI products and this and that. And really all it is, is just, you know, there's a hilarious meme, you know, uh, Scooby-Doo 
And it's like uh, every time they catch the bad guy, they just like pull the guy's mask off like you meddling kids. Well, it's like now you see every new product that comes out that is like powered by AI. And really, it's just, you know, Ch- enter dressed yeah. up. Dre- yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which I'm not against. Sure. Um, there are things. But if you're building the technology um, and using these LLMs, mm-hmm. these large language models to power your tech, that's fine. But if you're literally just taking the model and slapping on some, you know, random interface, then you're kind of running down this whole, you know, it's just chat GPT. So anyway, long story short is that we spent the first three, four months just kind of tinkering around, messing around with stuff. And we built this uh, ability to automate a newsletter that we had started and we automated the entire thing. And, um, you know, we started getting people reaching out being like, Hey, yo, listen, how'd you guys do that? You know, that Mm -hmm. that's kind of cool. And we started showing them. And what happened was do I'll try to keep it. Where do you think your audience is at on AI? Do you think beginner? Intermediate. I, I think all it's Let's all go. Okay. Just, so yeah. we'll keep it, we'll keep it super simple. So if you want to create these products, uh, this chat GPT for this or chat GPT for that, it's not overly complicated, but you have to have a little bit of coding knowledge. Now I'm non-technical. Um, I have one developer on my team and the other team members are non-technical as well. So what we found was that like any business, the bottleneck usually ends up being development. There are so many companies that are like, we're a tech company and they have a hundred employees and they have 10 developers. And it's like, okay, you know, interesting. <laughs> but what ends up happening is you have this giant bottleneck of features that get backlogged in development. So I knew that if we wanted to play with this technology, I couldn't have four people on the team coming up with ideas and things that we want to do and then have all that land on sure. one developer. Yeah. And also I am funding it myself. I'm not trying to go and spend and hire five, you know, $200,000 developers. Right. So we want to do it lean. So just as like a knee jerk, I'm like, we need to build a no code tool that allows us to manipulate these models and work with them and build products on top of them. So we did that internally in about two weeks. And so now we have this tool and I'm happy to show it to you. We have this tool that um, will allow us to pretty much select what model we want to work with. So do we want to work with OpenAI's models, which are the chat GPT models? So GPT-4 and GPT-3.5. Do we want to use Anthropic's model? Do we want to use Google's models? All these different things. But what we can also do is we can choose what tools we want to uh, allow these models to access. So do we want to let these um, AI, these large language models access um, uh, uh, databases where you can upload customer emails or documents or books? Do we want to make it so that they can search the internet? Do we want to do all these types of things? Things that ChatGPT can do, but we can customize it. And then also we can connect them to Excel sheets. We can connect them to web apps, yeah. things like that. And we can do all of that without doing any coding whatsoever. Um, the most exciting part of all of this, which is a little bit more advanced, is that when people use chat GPT, what ends up happening is that it's a conversation. Mm-hmm. So you ask it something, it gives you something back. You tell it you like it or not. You ask it to improve it. It gives you something back and it continues that way. It's a you know turn-based approach, which is great. And it's really good for the everyday user. But if you really want to start getting into some of the magic, if you want to get past the idea that um, ChatGPT is really good at giving you 60% of what you want, but you're going to spend a lot of your time editing and spend a lot of your time trying to figure out the voice, refining things. You realize it's not really good for everyday use because you have to restart the conversation for the most part. And they Mm -hmm. say that you don't, you know, you can save the convos, but it's not this, you know, enterprise level thing. Um, One of the number one things is that you can't chain together prompts. So maybe if I want um, a database or I want an Excel sheet populated with some information you can't ask 
maybe you realize that there's multiple steps to this. So first I want you to search the internet. Then I want you to go ahead and pull the relevant information. Then what I want to do is I want to see that Got answer it. before going to the next thing. And I want to uh, then format it in a specific way. Those are multiple prompts that kind of go in there. So chaining together these prompts to get, you know, three or four prompts running before you even get your first output is incredibly valuable when you start trying to get from 60% of the way there to 90% sure. of the way there. So long story short, we developed this internal tool that allowed us to do this very quickly. So what we ended up finding was that we could deploy products and projects much faster than other labs or agencies or whatever you want to call it. So a lot of people started reaching out to us to say, hey, um, you know, can you build me this? Can you build me that? And we're like, sure. And what we do is we don't use third parties. So we're not using like a, a third party chatbot creator or anything like that we will build all the tech straight up. It's completely built in house. Um, we also will train the models on whatever is relevant to your business. So we started seeing a lot of success with real estate coaching, ironically, mm -hmm. because what happens is a lot of real estate coaches, they're teaching people how to do content. And of course, you know, nobody can do it. Yeah. Well, there is a very small percentage that do it and they do it well and they get all the reward. Mm -hmm. And what we found is there's two types of agents. There are agents that um, are doing no content but no, they should be. Mm -hmm. And there are agents that are doing content, but want to save time and money. That's kind of where it's at. So there hasn't been anybody that we found that says, no, I hate content and it's stupid. It's more like I hate content, but I know I should be doing it. So anyway, we started seeing a lot of success with these real estate coaches that would reach out and say, Hey, I, I charge my clients, you know, however much a month to take my program and I teach them how to do social media content. It would be amazing if I could have a tool that did all of my teaching for them. So and then for example, they, what, like white label it from you. Exactly. Kind of exactly. Exactly. So we'll build it for them. It's completely branded in their name. It's awesome. their tool. Yeah. And then now they can go and say, Hey, listen, I charge 10,000 bucks for my coaching. It's a six week program. I teach you how to write the best social media content. I teach you how to do all this. But by the way, if you want for three ninety nine a month or whatever, have this tool that'll do all of it for you. So we started seeing a lot of success there. Now, what that has led to is this idea that we can productize that. And once again, real estate is this very interesting industry where they could benefit the most from AI, I think, because they do tend to be behind the buck when it comes to technology <laughs> and marketing, which yeah. is yeah. exactly yeah. what this is perfect for. So we went super crazy branded, the most branded name you've ever heard, like really tugs on the soul and went with realestatecontent.ai. <laughs> <laughs> and essentially it's what it is. So you, you go to it and this is our first product. So I always say we're not a real estate company. You know, it's, it's my lab. Yeah. We've got five people. And we found a need in the market where, you know, agents need to do content. And you're selling that now. It goes live, actually, perfect timing. It goes live next week on Wednesday, which would be, I think, uh, December 6th, I think. Got it. So it's realestatecontent.ai. And literally what this thing will do, man. And I, I actually... I think you show... I saw some of it, right? We were that. going back and forth a little bit on this. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, it's so crazy because I actually love... I, I appreciate being able to talk about this because it's more... I'm more excited about the process in which we found and developed this product than the product itself. The product is awesome. Honestly, it's... You pretty much choose a theme and it'll do all of your content. So Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter, and it'll do blogs for the entire month based on whatever theme you choose. You would choose what days you want to post on, what platforms you want to post on. It'll generate your images and it'll generate all of your social content. It'll also integrate with your social media uh, accounts. So that way, when you hit schedule, it's going to post right away. <laughs> and it's good. Like that's the thing. And I, I'm not being biased here. No, we I think when so I saw time, the, for whatever iteration you're on from what I saw that you shared with me, it was already good then. 
So I can only imagine where you're at now. It's gotten good. And, you know, once again, so we consider our lab is prompt engineering. What we do is we do prompt engineering and, and more than happy to talk about that, where we pretty much have a deep understanding of how to speak to these models because, you know, so is your business, sorry, I, I just, now you're making me think is your business in the new world. It seems like, I don't know if you can build a billion dollar business anymore, like maybe Apple that had this like great idea and it was just around for decades and it had this like kind of, it evolved, but essentially it was personal computing. Then it went to mobile, but that was also kind of personal computing. Now, maybe this lab is the right way because I feel like there's going to be opportunities that like pop up where you can sell this real estate content.ai thing for a little while and then maybe get saturated. Maybe that opportunity disappears and you're going to totally have to do something entirely different in biotech or something. I don't know. It seems difficult in this world that's changing so quickly for me to visualize you building a billion dollar or having a billion dollar impact in one specific area. Yeah, well, I'll tell you. Like, what do you think about that? Yeah, like automating social media posts for agents probably won't get us to a billion. But the whole thing, so where I was going back to this, year one for me isn't about figuring out what the big answer is. And like I was saying before, you know, uh, real estate content.ai is this awesome project and product that has been created, but that's not the lab. And essentially yeah. what we're trying to do is a, we're trying to learn how to work together as five of us very, very well and effectively. And it's going really, really good. Um, and we're also trying to figure out what skills we have. What can we do with five people? We can develop design and launch. Well, we can develop and design product. We can start from the top. We can design product. We now know that in a very short period of time, we can also develop product. Mm. This is very exciting for us in the next few weeks to see if we can launch product. And what that's doing is it's giving us the ability to sharpen our iron in an interesting space, which is these AI LLM models. And it's also allowing us to just kind of dip our toe into this hype around all these business models that are coming out, but it's also allowing us not to be going all in on like every last thing that we're doing here is focusing sure. on this so particular you can test the product. waters a little bit in every area, yeah. And the yeah. idea is that when the dust settles, we'll have, instead of you know bull rushing into what the mm -hmm. business model of AI is gonna be in the future, instead we're just using this hype cycle to get good at working with the tech. Mm -hmm. So that when things do settle and we do spot that amazing opportunity Smart. that is too good to pass up, I just gotta look at my team and be like, guys, this is where we're going and this is what we're doing. So I actually don't recommend this. I think it's okay and, and I'll oh, find out. It takes I'll, some I'll capital. You know. It takes capital. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm you know, I always say I'll invest. The only reason I couldn't put money into True Locals is because I had no money, but I would much rather just invest in myself and my team than anything else. So I have no problem plowing cash into this. Um, and the idea is that when you have a long-term approach, it's so yeah. much better because I'm not yeah. rushing to be like, oh my God, we have to figure it out. It's like, mm -hmm. hey, look, just from will. selling to you don't smell desperate when you're selling. Yeah. And I think that, you know, I think I was telling you a true local where, you know, the biggest thing is that I never would have changed a thing there, but I also think that we always could think bigger, but being a first time founder, I couldn't even think past 20 million. Like that was amazing. <laughs> um, it is but amazing. A way to think bigger is to have a first principles understanding of the technology that you're using. So really the technology that enabled true local was the internet. It was um, the ability for us to create an online shop and connect with people all across the country. It was just e-commerce. Decentralized distribution. I felt like, I don't know. I felt like my true local box was coming from some car on some service. You guys, yeah. I didn't even know how it got to my house, it, but it wasn't FedEx. No, exactly. And that was, <laughs> you know, yeah, that was a, that was a wild 
wild journey too. So essentially you're right. So we would eventually pretty much have as many couriers as possible on deck. And then whoever offered us the best time, best price would Is pretty that much how it was done. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It was a system. And that actually was a huge competitive advantage for us because true local, the inception for it, I was doing door to door meat sales, right? Which is hilarious how I started doing that somehow. Now we're talking about AI <laughs> yes, and, yes. and all this stuff. Um, so essentially door to door meat sales, their whole thing was that they were only local to Ontario and delivered their own products. So really, if we talk about the inception of true local, my thing was like, yeah, you well, were the guy who snuck up people in the parking lot saying, Hey, psst, you want to buy exactly. some meat from the back of my here? Truck? I'll come back tomorrow. What time should I come? You know, <laughs> who's going to be home? <laughs> um, so essentially, yeah, it was, it was, it was just problem solving our way to where we needed to go. So back on this, you know, this whole AI thing is that, um, I think that having a first principle understanding of the tech, if I knew the power of the internet truly, mm-hmm. um, we could have immediately been thinking bigger because we understand the technology. It wasn't just about an e-com shop. It was connectivity across the board and across this giant spectrum. That's where the internet was with blockchain. You know, we can have so many good conversations about distributed ledgers and blockchains and crypto and altcoins and shit coins and all this type of stuff. And you want to go down to NFTs and all the different tokens in there and, you know, DAOs and all this, because I wanted to spend so much time studying it because if I was going to go down that road, I wanted to understand it deeper so I could think bigger. Now with AI, I'm non-technical it's moving so fast, but we obsess over it. Like we really try to have a really deep understanding. And the first thing that I knew after going through the blockchain cycle was that everyone's going to bull rush into the easy money grab Mm -hmm. markets. It's the same thing as NFTs, right? And there is such good use cases for NFTs. I think that as soon as people stop calling them NFTs is day Mm -hmm. one where they might start to come back. But in terms of digital ownership, in terms of um, access, all of that, the art thing to me, I don't know if that sticks, but there are a lot of value for it. But because everybody essentially, you know, devalued the tech by having absolute dog shit business models of join my ape club yeah, or do but this. you're right like if you think of taylor swift if taylor swift went out to her community and audience that this is mirroring what we were talking about she's the master at having the biggest audience let's face it if she then offered some membership into the taylor swift club via some digital representation of how that could be accomplished through an nft or so called better yeah you know whatever it would be called um, just access to a membership yeah it's access your, to a membership, membership that you, you can know you yeah, get your, your membership key essentially online she could then do that globally like it's not even tied to the u.s she could offer it to everyone i just don't understand how that would be judicially enforced if anyone was like oh yeah like i am legally entitled to this from taylor swift and i'm in brazil if you now start bypassing judicial areas that are where like nation states would have like judicial authority in Canada and the US. And now if you go global, it's like, well, who does the person in Brazil complain to if Taylor Swift's membership, digital membership card that they got doesn't give them what they thought it could? Does she go does that person go to Brazil? Do they go to the US? Like the world's getting a little messy, but the opportunity is great. It's funny how we don't have technology problems, eh? We have policy problems. We really do. Tech works. Hey, like why couldn't she do that? And the tech's going so much faster that the nation state is feeling irrelevant to me more and more. Mm -hmm. You know, it's kind of like these artificial borders that like Taylor Swift could just go global, offer some equity stake into the Taylor Swift club and you get a percentage of the freaking t-shirt sold or whatever it would be. And you know, that would just, she could do that tomorrow. I think Gary V did that really well during that whole NFT phase for a while. He did a good job of like really making it more of a community. Once again, I think the joke now is 
where are all these NFT <laughs> holders and what are they getting? But um, yeah, so I, the I think first iteration lot, of anything. Yeah, I think a lot of that's going to happen with AI. It currently is happening. All these overhyped, over exaggerated business models that are absolutely, you know, commoditizing the real mm-hmm. value the tech is uh, providing, and it's going to make people be like, "Oh, this actually isn't that cool." Well, no, it's just because you know all of these people that were just speculating and trying to make a quick dollar you know, capitalized on the hype of the tech, created non-value and used the tech to create no value. And then now people are looking at it like, oh, well, the tech has no value. No, what we got to do is you got to cut through the bullshit and look at the technology. And that's why, once again, structuring it as a lab and taking a year to be like, look, let's deploy products yeah. that we believe have value. Let's, you know, sharpen the iron and get good. Well, when the dust settles, now you're going to start to see these opportunities. To your point, you start seeing this, uh, you know, congregation of blockchain and AI. And Mm. that to me is going to be a very, very interesting thing because you talk about these virtual influencers and whatnot. Um, Well, really, you're going to have to have a sense of digital ownership. There's got to be a way to, um, you know, own things online if you're going to create these, you know, digital personalities. And if more and more and more of our life is going to not only be lived online, which to me is inevitable. I'm very against it, but it's inevitable. The scary thing to me is that more and more and more of our actual identity and value is going to be going online. And that's where things get really weird, um, I think. Um, so there's a lot of that. And I think that the only thing, like I'm, I'm very scared of, like uh, we're using AI, but I'm, I'm terrified. I don't know if you've been following all this open mm-hmm. AI, Sam Altman stuff. Have you heard of QSTAR? I only know briefly, can you describe for everyone, this is what they think everybody was scared of at OpenAI. Yeah, so I'm completely speculating here. These are like my own personal thoughts. I was always team Sam Altman. We were at a conference that he was speaking at. I've I've always felt, you know, once again, I don't know the guy, but just, you know, when you look at the other billionaires, like I always say Jeff Bezos is the one that I want to have the least amount of power because he terrifies me. Um, <laughs> brilliant. But, you know, if this, it, I feel once again, completely speculative, but if it was up to him, the world would be Amazon. We would all work for Amazon, every Amazon <laughs> product. Sam Altman, you know, arguably wielding the most powerful technology in the world always did seem in the way he spoke and conferences and whenever he was in the public limelight was very like, look, we got to do the right thing. I, I don't that world know. coin thing scared the that shit out of me. Shit me too. When he wanted everyone's like that. eyeballs, that well, what that to me made me think this guy is evil. Well, now I I'm on that train. I think yeah. Okay. before I wasn't, but this whole ousting. So long story short, okay, let's give everyone a background. OpenAI is the arguably most hottest company in the world. $90 billion valuation. They created chat GPT, which is powered by the most powerful AI large language model. So that's called an LLM that is out there. It's GPT four. Um, and it's the fastest product ever to reach a million subscribers. It's amazing. They are also partnered uh, with Microsoft. So they have a close affiliation there. Sam Altman is a, um, Silicon Valley uh, legend. He always has been. He's, you know, was really close with Peter Thiel. He uh, was the head of, I think, Y Combinator. And eventually him, Elon Musk, and I think the most notable other prominent fil- uh, uh, figure is Ilya Stutzkever. Stutzkever. I'm probably messing that up. But let's just say that simplifying Elon, Sam, and Ilya got together to found OpenAI in the way that they wanted to. Oh, really? Safely- I didn't know that. Yes. Yeah. Oh. So they safely wanted to develop AGI. So for those that don't know, AI is what we have now. AI is a very, it is artificial intelligence that is um, specific to a task. So if you really think about it, you know, Google Maps is AI, but it's not considered the scary AI. Like it's not the Terminator AI or the powerful AI or the good AI that people think about when they think of this artificial intelligence. That's AGI, artificial general intelligence. So as soon as artificial general intelligence hits, the world changes forever 
ever. There's no going back. And it is very scary because there are a lot of people that believe that it could change the world for the better. But of course, and of course for the better, I want to piss it off. Exactly. And if you, and once again, my theory on it is like anything that has a brain will realize that humans are a problem. (laughs) So if you give anything, the ability to take a look, we're the problem. Totally. We've got a problem. So AGI was coming and these three, there was more, but these people got together to say that, Hey, we are going to develop it and we're going to do it in a safe way. And we're going to give it to the people for the most part. So OpenAI was created as a nonprofit originally. Mm-hmm. And you look and look at it. There's, there's, um, uh, I don't know if it's called a doctrine or a what, but it pretty much would tell investors that we are under no obligation to make a profit. Mm-hmm. We are yeah. not here to give you guys returns. That's why I had that weird board of directors too. I think, exactly. Right? So leading into this. So Long story short, that was always the thing. So it really was a feel good thing. You're kind of like, oh my God, like these are the people. If anyone's going to figure out AGI, I think that these are the ones. Well, the first kind of crazy thing is when Elon left. So Elon, and once again, whatever you're, uh, and I, I, I love talking about Elon, but um, you know, Elon left because he was voicing concerns around the level of um, seriousness they were taking AGI. And he felt they weren't doing it in a safe way. Now, my understanding is that Ilya, is also very, very, very like AGI is scary. We have to be very, the, very. He's cautious. the chief researcher or chief science officer. Science officer. Yeah. Okay. So he was. Okay. The, he's, he's. He's my he's understanding. The real techie in there. He's the guy. Okay. Yeah. He's yeah. definitely the AI guy. So Elon left a long time ago, um, and then OpenAI kept doing its thing. So most recently, of course, over the past while, OpenAI has developed all of these products. They have kicked off the AI arms race as of last November. Nobody. Okay, I shouldn't say this. Um, the mainstream didn't care about AI until ChatGPT came out. Now, they've been working on this for a long time, but the problem started where ChatGPT came out and it kicked off an arms race where all the biggest companies in the world are now racing to AI. Now, as you know, with any arms race, it's forget bureaucracy, which is fine. Um, forget safety. Forget, safety, forget uh, you know any of this stuff and rush to it. And it seems like OpenAI has gotten caught up in that a bit. Now, once again, up until this whole, you know, OpenAI scenario, I was very team Sam Altman because I just, once again, seemed decent. However, started doing some research. So in this past couple of weeks, here's what's happened. Um, out of nowhere, out of complete nowhere, um, it, there's an announcement that Sam Altman has been removed as the CEO from the board of OpenAI. Okay, wait, what? Mind boggling. By the end of the weekend, he was reinstated and the board was fired. Okay, so let's break that down a bit. When he got removed, I was super concerned because um, obviously a lot of the products that we build are powered by GPT-4 and they've been very developer friendly. They're amazing to work with. Oh God, The pricing okay. is awesome. They've okay. been very for the people. It, it, once again, wow. I believe if this was a Google thing or if it was coming straight from Microsoft, Microsoft. Oh, it wouldn't be the same. No. It'd be very like, this is how much it costs. Yeah. So that whereas. OpenAI and Sam Altman have been very like, hey, we're for the people, we're here than <laughs> that. So I'm like, oh my God, this is horrible. Anyway, then you start looking into it and you start hearing that, oh, you know, Sam's been fired because he was being, you know, not transparent with the board. Okay, well, you know, that sounds like bullshit. The, the board is doing a power grab. Microsoft wants to take over. You just assume that they're trying to oust a good founder. But then when you find out that it seems like Ilya was the one who seemed to kind of yes, start this whole thing, yeah. that made me start thinking, well, wait a minute. First of all, Ilya is the super cautious guy. And then you start reading all the stuff like facts that, you know, there's been letters from the staff to the open AI board saying, hey, we have made a discovery that could threaten humanity. It says that it's wild. It started getting me going down even more of the rabbit hole. And you start seeing that, like, it seems 
almost obvious that they've they're, they're at AGI. It seems almost obvious that they've had it for a little while. It seems as though oh there is God. now a dispute over what AGI is in the attempt to say that there is no AGI. It's not there yet to keep it going because once again, you know, there's a, a document that states that um, you know, OpenAI is able to keep their AI um, as long as it hasn't reached AGI. As soon as it reaches AGI, the board can step in, declare that they've uh, found AGI, and now the the commercialization of it has to change. Well, obviously, then if you're running OpenAI from a management perspective, so CEO and and the management team, it's probably in their best interest to postpone the announcement of AGI as long as possible, because now you've pretty much allowed the board to step in. So when you look at Sam Altman being removed, the board saying it's because he wasn't being transparent, the board refusing to say anything, obviously, because they're jammed up legally. You think they might have it? I, How would you my, define it for someone who, who doesn't know what AGI is? Is it that it's conscious, like it can think for itself? A lot of it is is in the limitation, and that's a great. I don't like. Look, there are people. Mm-hmm. There, it's so difficult. I think the thing where people think about AGI is like, yeah, it's like any of those movies, Ex Machina, you know, uh, Singularity, you know, uh, uh, what's it, the Terminator? Like, it's this artificial intelligence that can think for itself, that can make its own decisions, um, and that is how it, scary is that? It's terrifying. Well, we talk about crypto. So this whole Q star thing. Long story short, fast forwarding. There's a new type of model. It's not a new type of model. Model, but it's a new function within the model that they're calling Q star. And um, allegedly this is not verified, but they're saying that they've made very wild. It. So Q star is factual that that exists. This is spec- Q star is the name for the AGI. They it's think? a, it's a type of learning okay. that is based off something called Q learning. Okay. Now, once again, I cannot speak to this in. Okay. Any- I only read one paragraph on it. I didn't really understand it. Yeah. The biggest thing with AI is that I can't do math very well. Um, that's one of the, the biggest things because there's two types of learning. There's type one learning and type two learning. Type one learning is like this instinctual type thing. So for example, if I look at that hat and I see that it's black, I didn't have to think about that. Mm-hmm. I just knew it over repetition and it's stored in my memory. It has to so conclude it's black. It has well, to. I don't, I don't have to conclude. That no, it's but black. the AI has to not. No, I wouldn't think so. I think oh, okay. it, it could tell that two plus two, four okay. didn't have to compute okay. or think about that. That's type one learning. And that's what AI is very good at. So you imagine when you ask AI a question, it's not going through and reasoning the answer. What it's doing is it's referencing its training data, which is the entire internet essentially. And it has found the best possible answer to your question. So it's looking just for patterns. Essentially. That's well, asked, here's the most common answer. Exactly. And these LLMs, so what people talk about as AI today, chat GPT, and then you know what powers chat GPT being GPT-4, that's the LLM, the large language model. They aren't smart. They are just really, really good and optimized for predicting the next word. So it's called tokens. It's not words. They don't use words. Um, and just yeah, got keep it, it simple. You yeah. can just let's just use words yeah. to keep it simple. All they're doing is if you say Humpty Dumpty sat on a it is going to go ahead and provide the most probable answer for that. Now you can give it different primers. You can set the role. You can be like, Hey, look, I want you to act sure. as a comedian. Mm-hmm. And I, uh, the yeah, goal so is to using make probabilities, patterns and probability matching. That's exactly it. And for people that know there is something called the temperature and the top P that allow you to, uh, uh, we just call it a creativity index. But if you increase the temperature or top P, you're pretty much making it so that is it going to use the most likely next word? Or is it going to look at all of the possible words 
Um, and it's going to expand that number of possible words. So let's say Humpty Dumpty sat on a, there's a million words that could go there. When you adjust things like the temperature, you are reducing the amount of words that, Got it. Or, or the top piece, yeah. sorry, you're reducing the amount of words. So instead of there being a million words to choose from, it's 20 words mm -hmm. to choose from. And then the, the other one, the other uh, setting there, the temperature in the top P is that, well, do I want to use the one that is 99.9999% likely or do I want to use the one that's 95% likely? Let's get a little crazy. Let's get a little creative here. So if you're doing, you know, creative work, hmm, uh, writing it. novels, okay. books, music, you can, you can kind of tweak that. these things. But at the end of the day, it's not smart. It's just giving you the next mm -hmm. most logical thing. This cue learning. Oh, so that's type one versus type two. So for me, I see that hat's black. I didn't have to think about it. When you ask AI almost anything, it doesn't have to think about it. It just mm -hmm. has it. Now there's different types of prompting that you can do. There are things called, uh, there's few, there's zero shot, few shot prompts. There's a tree of thought prompts. There's chain of thought. There's all these different ways to interact. Oh, Ironically, shit. You're deep in this rabbit hole. Awesome. Oh, do we? Well, yeah. I, I'm, I'm proud to say that we're prompt engineers. Awesome. Like we awesome. spend a lot of time, but here's the magic is that I'm non-technical. Listen, this is the best thing. I now have such a deep respect for developers and coders because <laughs> interacting with these models oh. is just coding in, in plain English. Yeah. Yeah. Because what we do is we'll write, and, and here's always the joke. You see like a Forbes will be like, oh, the top 10 best prompts. And it's like three sentences. Yeah. It's like, you want to do it. Well, we always use the example. So for, for, for example, real estate content.ai, one of the things blogs and client avatars, one of the older features that we had, people will be like, okay, well, our prompt for that is, you know, it's a, maybe a paragraph. I want you to, you know, you're a, a professional blog writer and here's your role, blah, blah. It's like a paragraph. Ours is 58 pages of wow. writing that will go into this wow. to make it so that a, it's giving us the exact answers we want in the right yeah. way. So long story short, um, the Q star, Q star, Q star, Q learning. So Q learning and Q star. Okay. So Q learning apparently seems to be closer and in enabling this type two learning. And the type two learning is like, if I were to ask you something such as what's 56 times 83, you do have to start reasoning through that. Wow. You don't just know the answer. You have to be like, okay, I don't have that answer. My memory banks. Well, let me do, so my, let do my model to figure it out. Mm -hmm. So this Q learning, and once again, I am not, uh, know much more about it next time we chat, but it seems that they have now made progress, which enables more of this type two learning for these LLMs, which will allow it to reason much better. Now, here's the scary part in all this. One of the rumors is that now it's gotten good at math. Um, and if it's gotten good at math, what they were testing it on, this is rumors. Okay. So I just want to, I got to keep throwing that out there, but apparently it's inevitable. This is the joke in this is that this is inevitable. It's a rumor that it's happened now, but they have found that it is now um, doing math in a way that we don't understand. So it's surpassed our levels of math, which we didn't huh. necessarily think was possible. Now the problem is, is that arguably that means cryptography yeah. is completely useless. Shit. And that would go really well with what Elon recently said, where he's like, hey, if we reach AGI, money will be useless. So it just seems very odd to me that you had the dev day situation where OpenAI announced all of their exciting things. Then there's this letter that goes to the board saying, hey, we have a problem, uh, literally says a threat to humanity. Elon's tweeting about, you know, uh, you know, AGI might, you know, um, AGI might make it so we don't have money anymore. Ilya has left. Um, or, or threatened to leave and is sounding the, the alarms. What the fuck is going on? It's 
I, it's wild. So that's the one thing for me where I'm like, I did understand this. And I know that quantum computing. Maybe you should just open up a bakery. You know, forget all these businesses you're talking about. Seriously. Maybe you should just go into the middle of Toronto and bake amazing bread. You know, maybe that's the angle here. Well, the joke has always been that like AI is going to replace, oh, the factory workers and this and that. No, no. AI is replacing the doctors and yeah. the founders and the entrepreneurs. That's what's happening. It really feels like it could. Yeah. Holy so it's wild. Shit. So I don't know. All of that is fact up until this Q star. Uh, Q star is factual. Q learning is factual. But this idea that it now is doing. Yeah, now you have to come on regularly because we need to get an update. Uh, yeah, no, I appreciate it. I love, I don't I love wanna, talking to you guys. I should have booked more time for this. I have to ask you a few run. things. Yeah. No, no, not yet. I have to ask you something. How did you start racing? Like, how okay, the yeah, heck do you find yourself? <laughs> yeah, yeah, switch gears a little bit. I want to talk about some of your running yeah. and your racing. You pick which one first. Okay, so uh, we'll do racing first. So essentially what was happening. Because um, you bought a race car or something. And then, you know, before I know it, some people are texting me like you're winning races. And then I think you're the number one guy in some circuit. Like what's going on? So essentially I never had a car growing up. I've always loved cars. My love of cars only grew. By the time I had enough money to buy a supercar, I was past just loving supercars. I'm like, I want to have supercars and I want to drive them real fast on the track. So I had this like life goal. I really wanted to uh, just race cars. And I did it like anything else in my life, which was, I think I like it. I think I want to do it. Um, let's go and test the water. So I'm going all in. I exactly. I treated it like a business. So as soon as the company sold, I was like, what I'll do is I'll do one year. So which is essentially in Canada one summer. So what I'll do is, I buy a race car. So I bought a, a 2004 E46 BMW M3. I bought it out of Montreal. It was about 30,000 bucks and it was half done. It was half ready to race. So it was a street legal car, but also for road tracks. Oh, uh, well, no. So we do. Well, they're called road tracks, okay. but we're talking about. So there's uh, the track I was doing at the time was Calabogie, just outside of Ottawa. The main track here is uh, CTMP. So Canadian Tire Motorsports Park. And that's just in Bowmanville, Okay, um, which is an amazing track. It's uh, one of the fastest tracks in North America. They used to do Formula One there. It was too dangerous. They stopped doing Formula One there. Um, so the track that I learned on was Calabogie. Um, and I knew nothing. I'd never been in a race car. I'd never been on a track. But my goal was that if I progress faster in my my first year than other people in their first year I'll invest again and we'll go racing the following year. So I went to the track, like lived there essentially every single chance I could go there. I would go and you know, it, we progressed well in that first year. Um, and I told people I'm going to go racing next year and everyone laughed at me and they're like, you, you're not ready to go racing. They had this, uh, local racing where you could do local racing at the track, which is where like, to be clear, there are a lot of people that are, uh, track uh, like if you like to drive cars, you go to track, track days. junkie. Yeah. You go to track yeah. days. Then if you're really serious into to this, you, you know, you might do, uh, like, like, uh, you know, you might go to a, uh, an actual coaching event and, and get lessons and become faster. It seemed like you skipped a bunch of steps. Well, I did all that during that summer, but to go into racing is a, is a big jump. Cause a lot of people are like, well, I like to go fast, but I'm not ready, you know, and they think they're ready to race, but I'll tell you when there's a car beside you, it's a whole, you know, people real quick, be like, you know what? I'm, I'm cool to be on the track. So which is the mistake I made, to be honest. So I decided, no, I'm going to go racing in the in the regional series, which is the one step below the pros here in Canada. So it's called CASC, and they do uh, 18 races over the course of the season um, all across Ontario. Okay. So you do uh, CTMP, Shannonville, Calabogie. And um, it's intense racing because it's the uh, really the people that, for the most part, you know, choose not to go pro or just don't have the funds because it's all a money game to go pro are hanging out in this series. These guys have been racing for a long time. Um, and I, I thought it was a good idea to, to jump into that series um, as my first race ever on a new track because I had never taken my car to Canadian Tire Motorsports Park. And um, 
I remember that first weekend. Honestly, man, like I don't think I've ever been more scared in my life. Like when I say I was shitting bricks, like dude, I, I was shitting bricks because when you do all these track days, you're not allowed to pass without pointing the person by. It's all about safety, right? Okay. Track days are incredibly safe. You're never racing on a track day. Got like it. when if you want to pass somebody, they have to put their hand out the window to signal that they've seen that you're there to acknowledge pass. Otherwise, you can't pass. Like it's very safe. That's very different to when you go do your first test session in a race weekend and you've got people just blazing by you like an oh, inch right shit. from you. I honestly was like, what am I doing? I thought it was the craziest thing, but I did learn something. So I, I go do this and it, it was the first race weekend and Saturday was the first race. So Friday we're testing. Saturday is the first race. I'm in my little BMW. And I was honestly like that night I was like, I, I, this is not, I, I just got to call it. Like it's got to call it the first time ever where I was like, I think I'm going to quit this. And I'm like, you know what? Just like suck it up. Just go out there. So I get out there and Saturday comes and I'm in the car. And of course the sketchiest thing ever is when you're sitting in the pit lane waiting to go out and you're just like, like, it's just the tensest moment ever. Anyway, I go and, and the start, I have the video of it. It's the most amazing thing. Just like starting a race, a rolling start for the first, the, the noise, it's so loud and it's just crazy. And like out of the movies is so cliche. It just all went away. And it was like, okay, I, I survived the first lap and then, oh, I survived the second lap. Then it's like, oh shit, there's this guy beside me. Like, I don't want to, I kind of want to go a little bit faster. And by the time the race was done, I came out and I don't think I've ever had that level of like joy or exhilaration wow. I've ever had. And that fear that I wanted to quit, like literally an hour before was completely gone. And all I wanted was more, which I think is a bit of a metaphor for, I think the things that you want in life are always right on the other side of the fear or the thing that tells you to quit. You kind of got to push through it a little bit. So anyway, did that lost all my first half of the season races. Um, oh, I didn't lose them all, but I didn't win any of them. Um, and then we started getting better. And by the second half of the season, I won all of the second half of the season races. Um, so the last eight races um, I won and we had an underpowered car also, but I was just like that That's crazy wild. kid who was obsessing. Like I was just on it all the time. I bought a racing simulator. I practiced all the time. I got coaches to, to train me virtually um, and we took it super serious. And it's funny because we have like, we've recorded everything. So I love content creation, um, not short form. I, I, I prefer, you know, the doc style and we're starting to get some of this content out, but it's, um, on video, we actually have people coming over being like, yeah, you're never going to win a race. You're never going to win a race in that car. Like why? Are you no way. Here? Oh yeah, for sure. Racing is a very interesting community. Mm -hmm. It's very tight knit. It's very close. And you know, as Old an outsider yeah. and of course, because for me, you know, first of all, I already get, you know, I already get uh, a certain type of reputation because I bought my way into racing. Like, hmm. oh, I was able to buy my own car and I can afford tires and I can do this. So apparently, you why know, are for, people just fucked. I don't know, man. I don't know. It was tough. And I always thought I'm like, well, my thought was that you guys have all really? been racing that, for yeah. years and I have a shittier car and one year of experience. So I, I would, I don't, you know, I don't, I don't get the insult of, I bought my way in here. Like I'm kind of proud of that. So literally on video, it's just like people being like, you're never going to win a race, like whatever. And of course we come back and win the championship. So not only did I win the championship, I won rookie of the year and I won the overall championship for the series because we have different classes. So I was in the GT three class. So there's GT one, GT two, GT three, GT four, GT five. My car qualified me for the GT three class. I had the most points of all the classes. So I won the overall championship. So for anybody out there, a hey, couple congrats. things get after it. Thank you, man. That it was, is huge. It was wild. It was a crazy experience. And it was probably the thing I fell in love with the most. It was just this amazing, I would, it was the only thing I was thinking about for that summer. It was something we went all in on. My family would come out like, you know, I, we never really have excuses to all get together, but 
so many friends and family come up because you're like, hey, you want to come to a race? Yeah. And it brought everyone together in this weird, crazy And is that way. how you end up on a stage during the Montreal Formula One with Lewis Hamilton? Because you were the Rookie of the Year winner. So that they, I don't know, put you on a panel and he's there. It was a stepping stone. Because that must have been freaky. It was a stepping stone. So that. Like he's basically a legend. He's one of the greatest humans, period. He's our uh, Did most you get a chance to chat with him? Oh yeah, for sure. Holy yeah. shit. So essentially that first season allowed me, it opened the door for me to go pro in my second year. So this past year. So we went from, hey, here's my Mickey Mouse 2004 uh, BMW <laughs> to, oh wow, here is this, you know, GT. Are you a Mercedes now? Yeah. yeah. So GT4, um, which by the way, uh, GT4 in the pros is much superior. There's no correlation to GT3 in the semi. So this is a GT4 factory built Mercedes AMG it's like a car that I had on my uh, like on my screensaver for so long. It's unbelievable. You know the highest end Mercedes on the road. Take that, turn it into a race car. This is what we were racing. So I got to do six pro races, and um, a, a relationship materialized with Mercedes. And um, it, I, I always say, they're trying to figure out who is this guy, where did you come from, and what are you about. Well, of course, as you can imagine, you're a bit I, of an anomaly. I hustled it down. Like, you know, yeah. of course there are so every driver tries to reach out to the manufacturers and every driver, you know, is saying the same story and every driver is like, I'm the best race car driver. I'm going to win all the races. My approach was like, I'm definitely not the best race car driver, but I understand marketing and I understand that there's got to be a way to drive value. And I understand that this is a platform more than anything. And for me, you know, I've done the true local equal opportunity business grant. You know, I came from, you know, no money. I almost dropped out of school. You know, I love of, you know, uh, there's a whole other side of what I do, which is just like talking about my story to help inspire kids to get into business and just kind of show them that, Hey, look, man, like, trust me, I'm the one who was, you know, giving the finger to my teachers and somehow I turned my whole life around and Were you? Me. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. And that's a whole other story. But I was telling Mercedes, like, listen, you know, this is inspiring for kids, you know, to go from not having a car growing up to almost failing out of high school to now I'm funding my own, um, you know, racing career for the most part. Um, and I'm driving this amazing car that Dude, kids good dream for of. you, man. What a journey you've been through. It's been wild. Holy shit. It's been wild. So, you know, and I, I appreciate it a lot. And, and the thing with Mercedes is that they give me a platform to, yeah. to do that. And now they've just gotten this partnership with uh, Big Brothers, Big Sisters of Canada. And I was actually part of Big Brothers, Big Sisters as oh, a wow. little. Um, when I was a kid. So that couldn't have been a better relationship between them. And then now I'm hoping that I can kind of come in here and share my story through that and, and impact all these kids. And that's kind of where it's come where I'm not expecting to beat any of these pro racers. Like there were four other people. One of them was my coach from the previous year that I was racing against. And the other two have been racing um, literally since they were children. So for me, I like the racing because a we, we always bring people out. So not only just my friends and family, but you know we reach out on social media and say, hey, anybody like any kids out there that mm. just you know could just use awesome. a, a good day, or whatever. Yeah, send them our way. We'll bring them out, and it's this awesome event. It's a pro race. It's a pro event, right? So we do that, um, and I get to go out and drive these race cars, and I'm gonna get good. Like I was able to win the championship in the the semi pro stuff. Jumping into the pros is a whole different thing, and I'm like, it's cool. It's a long term thing for me, and I get to get better and get better and get better, and eventually, you know, we're gonna be up there competing with them, and and, and along the way um we get to have a, a blast so that's uh the racing story essentially so i gotta bring you back because unfortunately just the way my week is i have to start wrapping this up no, it's all right good. now but i feel like we're we're just scratching the surface of mark lafleur so uh 
Anyway, um, I just, it's going to be fascinating to see you over the next 10 years, just with the base you're now coming from the brand that you're going to build for yourself, not even a brand guy, but just like who you are as a person is very kind of, there's just a brand in you. I don't know how to articulate it, but it's there. And just your understanding of audience building, your understanding of AI, your ability to go into competition, into sporting events, into race cars. We didn't even talk about the running, which I'll have to bug you about next time. I apologize for not having the time today. But uh, it's just your interesting character to watch over the next few years. It's kind of exciting just to cheer you along. And I just want you to know if there's anything we can ever do to support you in any way, please let us know. I think Nick and I can be pretty guilty of heads down trying to do what we're doing and then sometimes not seeing something right next to you, but just the door's always open for however we can support you. Dude, I appreciate that. And you guys have been awesome, man. Like, honestly, I- We've done I, nothing for you, Mark. No, I, you, no, you have you. because you know what? Like, and it's the same thing, you know, I always, I always kind of joke about it, but there are people that supported me early on in True Local when, you know, they didn't have to. And it's everything from like, you know, just being there. And you guys have always had me on the show. Um, and I remember the first podcast I did with you guys, like I wasn't used to being on podcast. Podcasts, right. And I'm like, this is amazing. Like it was a huge win. And, and, you know, and even like talking about this, I'm like, yo, I got some stuff to talk about. Like, you know, watch, you know, I love, I'm not kidding when I say you guys are my favorite podcast. I love the setup. Yeah, I love chatting with you. you. It's the most conversational uh, podcast I get to have, which is where I prefer. I don't like the scripted. So this is, it's like, okay, whatever. Like I just sure. want to, you know, lay yeah. it out. It's yeah. always the best when it's, Hey, can we just start recording now? Cause we're already having great conversations mm-hmm. before the podcast starts. Mm-hmm. So no, I appreciate you guys so much. Thank you. And, and where are we directing people today? Definitely. If you're listening to this, you can check out realestatecontent.ai. That seems like a no-brainer to check that out. Yep. Um, where else? Instagram yeah, so, handle, uh, db8. Is it db8.com? Yep. So if you're in real estate, check out realestatecontent.ai. That's definitely for you. If you care about my story or enjoy it, I have a book, right? So I think That's we talked right. about it oh last gosh. time. So I yeah. wrote a book about pretty much all of this stuff <laughs> and kind of where I'm going. It's called True Founder, what nobody has the guts to teach you about your starting your first company. Um, that's an easy one. You can catch it at marklafleur.com or you can catch it at truefounderbook.com. Um, and then, yeah, alternatively, social media, uh, you know, uh, Dark Mark. So pretty straightforward at Dark, D A R K M A R C underscore. Um, and then, uh, yeah, if you guys, of course, if there's anybody out there who is looking to build or create any sort of interesting products, we are taking on clients. We obviously don't have a huge bandwidth. Um, so we are fairly selective with who we work with, but if you're looking for those types of things, I want to talk about a project. You can just go to db8.com, send us a message and we're happy to brainstorm some, some products with you. Mark, thanks for stopping by, man. A lot more to chat with you about. So yeah, definitely going to bug you to come back. Thank you for this. Really, really appreciate it, man. Thank no you. No problem. Man. Thanks. thanks for having me. Hey everyone, hopefully you enjoyed that chat with Mark. You can find out more about Mark by visiting his website, marklafleur.com. He is on Instagram at darkmark underscore. Mark is with a C on that Instagram handle. And if you want to dive into the world of the Rockstar Inner Circle membership that we're running and you want to learn more about that, you can visit rockstarinnercircle.com to find out all the details. That's rockstarinnercircle.com. That's it for this episode. Until next time, your life, your terms. <laughs>